Amen. Thank you, Murray family, for reading for us. Thank you, worship band, for leading us so well this morning. Encourage us in our faith. God is here with us on this day, and we're here together. I often remind all of us it's not by chance, it's not by mistake, it's by God's plan that we're here together. Amen. Last week, I was a passenger aboard a flight that took off out of Cedar City, Utah. There were three of us aboard this single-engine aircraft. Our pilot was taking us to um, one of our national treasures to take a, get a bird's-eye view of Zion National Park. As we were uh, in, in flight, enjoying about 10,000 feet, um, he was pointing out, our pilot was pointing out points of interest. And it's a beautiful, beautiful park from that height. Um, what was more interesting is that our pilot decided to put the plane into a stall. I, I, I'm sitting there, I'm in the back, and the plane is moving. All of a sudden, the power starts to fade. I'm not sure. And all of a sudden, the computer goes off. Stall, stall, stall. I'm thinking, this is it. It's done. I'm going to see the Lord. So as the plane was in a stall, um, the pilot, my 20-year-old son, who just graduated from SUU and is now a flight instructor, was having a great laugh at his dad, who was freaking out on the back. I'm holding on. I'm gripping on. Just, I'm not sure what's going to happen because we're starting to lose altitude. For him, this is routine. He teaches his students this all the time. For me, no way. This is not routine. I'm not having a good time. I don't like this lesson. He let it glide for a while, and then he adjusted it and the controls, and we were back soaring. I could hear the motors, you know, the propeller going. Ah, it was great. Nevertheless, the sound of stall, stall, stall was not something my emotional system was ready for. And my other son was aboard as well, and they both were laughing at me. They were like, what's your problem, Dad? That was fun. Likewise, though, in life, we will encounter those moments, maybe in our faith life, that we encounter the, the stall, the stall. Stall. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe a situation that you go through, or maybe it's something at work, or maybe it's in a relationship, or marriage, or maybe in your faith life, and your, in your family life. Whatever the case, there's aspects in our lives that we hit a stall, and we were concerned, and that's where we start to grip the seat, and we wonder, what's next? When are we going to come out of We start to lose altitude in our lives, in our faith life. I don't know about you, when the stall hits, I, I grow anxious. And if it goes on too long, I begin to lose hope and, and faith. Gradually, my behaviors start to reflect that of not someone who believes in a living God, but rather someone who thinks the stall is the end. And I'm not going to pull out of this stall. And my behaviors reflect that. Maybe I start taking shortcuts. Maybe I start trusting. I become a timid doubter. Maybe we start becoming afraid. And it's very difficult to see through those moments and to see where God is working and acting in our lives. You know, some of the first followers of Jesus experienced stalls in their life, in their faith life. 
And I'm guessing they must have sensed that maybe through the doubt and through the uncertainty, they're wondering if they're going to pull out of it anytime soon. You see, following Easter, there was a 40-day period where Jesus was among his disciples, and he appeared to them in this period of 40 days. And in this period of 40 days, he was reminding them in his teaching that he was not going to be around all the time. In fact, he was going to leave and go to be with his father, our father, his God, our God. That's what he says to Mary. Mary finds him in the, in the garden, and she says she holds on to him, and, and Jesus says, Mary, I'm going to go to be with my God, your God. I am going to be with my Father, your Father. And he tells the disciples this, and he reminds them he's not going to be present with them physically. And this is where I believe they are starting to feel like the, the stall. It comes to a shock for them. Hey, things are going great. You rose from the dead. Now it's time to establish your kingdom here and now. Let's go. They must have had questions after question. Why do you got to go? Where are you leaving us? Why are you leaving us behind? And this is where maybe they felt that the power that kept them in flight was suddenly disappearing. Jesus must have known and figured it out and seen the shock in their eyes or maybe how they shifted in their seats or how they were gripping the armrests of the chair because they sensed they were headed for a stall. So knowing this, he assures them and he gives them some measures to take. He, yes, he's leaving them, but he's not going to abandon them. He says, I will continue to provide for you that lift that you will need to keep flying, to pull out of the stall that you may be experiencing. And so he begins in this conversation. He provides for them measures that will help them when they experience a stall in their faith life, in their lives together. And this conversation is recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Now, the book of Acts was written by the same writer who wrote the gospel according to Luke. Many of you know this. Acts is a sequel to the gospel according to Luke. At the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he writes to a friend, he says. His name is Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. And he says, Theophilus, I'm writing to you all the things that Jesus did and said so that you may be certain in the things that you have been taught. And so he's writing to his friend Theophilus, and then he writes the, the gospel according to Luke. And then he begins again. It's, it's kind of like season two. You know, we watch it. This is, this is season two, episode one that we're going to enter into this morning. Here he says in Acts chapter 1, the first five verses, Theophilus, lover of God, I wrote about Jesus in my earlier book. I wrote about all he did and taught until the day he was taken up into heaven. Before Jesus left, he gave orders to his apostles he had chosen. He did this through the Holy Spirit. After his suffering and death, he appeared to them. In many ways, he proved that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. During that time, he spoke about the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. One day, Jesus was eating with them. He gave them a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, he said. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. You have heard me talk about it. 
John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm not exactly sure what my son Palmer did to get us out of that stall. He messed around with the controls or whatever, and we started flying well again. I know he explained it to me a couple times, and I, I can't remember. I, I can't figure it out. That's why he's the pilot, I'm the passenger. But I do know what Luke is providing here for the church, for the first disciples, for the early church, for us. What measures we can take when life unexpectedly takes that turn and we are, find ourselves in, interrupted and maybe in small ways or large ways we find ourselves in a stall. In our passage, Luke points to three important measures we can take. Help us pull out of the stall, lift our faith, and steady our hope and our trust in Christ. The first is that Luke reminds them that Jesus proved that he was alive. Proof. If you're taking notes, I put a little sheet of paper in your, your bulletin there. You can take notes. First was proof. Jesus provided proof. He was alive. Forty days he spent with them. He, he ate with them. He walked with them. We learned about that last week when Reverend Tom Kramer shared about how Jesus walked along the beach with Peter, restoring him, forgiving him, challenging him. But like the story of Thomas, you may know, Thomas says, I, don't, I will not believe until I can see the, the nail holes in his hands, until I can put my finger into the side of the risen Lord. I will not believe. And then he gets that opportunity, right? Jesus appears to him, and Thomas says, I believe. And Jesus says this, you know, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe who do not see. And that's us. That's the church. We don't have the physical presence of Jesus here with us, but we do have the physical proof that Christ is alive in and among us. What is that? What is the proof, the physical proof that Christ is alive? Well, I'll point to the church. The church is physical proof that Christ is alive. Sometimes we take sacraments together, right? We'll take the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. For the church, that is physical proof that Christ is alive in our lives and in our life. We baptize. When I baptize a child, you know what I say? I say, you're loved by God. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're... You belong to Jesus forever. The, the church practice, the church's life together is proof that Christ is alive. The power of the resurrection. There's only one way that we exist is through the power of Christ's life in us. And it comes out, and that proof comes out in multiple ways. And here's what I got two tangible proofs that I hold on to. When I was a youth pastor many years ago, there are a handful of kids that would come to this youth group that had no interest in God, no interest in really what I was teaching and what we were doing. They like to be disruptive. Their names are Chris and John. I know you. 
And if they watch this, they know I'm talking about them. Well, they're not watching it because they are now pastors of Presbyterian churches. These two guys who I'm wondering, Lord, what are you going to do with these two guys? And now, and I can't explain it any other way but through the power of Christ's resurrection. That's proof that Christ is alive. Because where they were headed, there's no way. It's not by chance. It's proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. You have proof in your life and in your faith life. Maybe it's an answered prayer. Maybe it's some words that somebody shared with you. Maybe you had an experience. You were out in nature and you recognized God's gift of creation and you realized that this is an example of God's love and grace for humanity. These are proofs that Christ is alive. Paul says it this way. You yourselves, this is what he talks about the church, you yourselves are living letters written on our hearts known and read by everyone you are a letter from christ resulting in the church's ministry written not on ink but by the spirit of the living god on your hearts not on tablets of stones but on the tablets of the human heart that's proof christ is alive How many ways has God proven that he's alive in your life? Maybe that's something to write down, something to reflect on, something to hold on to, especially when you hit the stall. Second measure that Luke is encouraging the first century church and for us today is that he encourages us to hold on to a promise. It's a gift. A gift. Now, today is Mother's Day, and moms are getting gifts Maybe the kids have said, I'm going to give you the gift of, of breakfast. And the kids got in the kitchen and, and made breakfast for you. And now you have to clean up a big mess in the kitchen. Gift of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is, or what Luke is reminding us. God is giving a gift. It's a promise of the Holy Spirit. And when God gives a promise, he keeps it. And he gives us the Holy Spirit the same way he gave to his first followers. In the Gospel of John, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He says, when I leave, I'm going to provide for you an advocate, someone who will stand with you, who will stand for you, who will remind you of my presence in your life, and it will indwell you and give you strength. It will help you pray. It will encourage you, comfort you, but also challenge you in areas of your life. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is the gift is the promise. And so we have to practice an awareness of the growing of the, the Holy Spirit growing in our lives. And that's through prayer and awareness of God's Spirit. It's through encouragement of others, encouraging one another in, a, in community. It's through meeting together in your small groups, in your life groups. It's reading God's Word, being reminded that the promise that the Holy Spirit will indwell us. The Holy Spirit is with us here now in this place. And when we go, the Holy Spirit is a promise. The measures that we are to take when we hit a stall, the proof that we have in our lives, the power of the resurrection, Christ's resurrection, and the promise that we can live by that the Holy Spirit is with us. And the third measure that we're called to take that is available to us is that there is a plan. There's a plan. Jesus talks about it. It's called the kingdom of God. He says, 
At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he was preaching, preaching the kingdom. And he would say, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. Luke tells us that, that the, Jesus spoke to the disciples about the plan of God's kingdom, which was something here and now and something to come. He taught his disciples to pray for this plan. That you, in this prayer that he taught them, you may know by heart, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done. He, this measure that we're called to take, that we have a plan, that God has a plan for our lives, our life together, that we are called to reflect God's kingdom in our life together. When he spoke about kingdom, it wasn't just a place in heaven far off. Rather, it was a place that was coming. It was coming in stages. Coming now with the Messiah as Jesus comes and lives among us. His death and his resurrection. Another stage of the kingdom. Healing through mercy and grace. And it points to a future kingdom. God's kingdom that we will all enjoy Christ returns. So the church, you and I, become witnesses of that kingdom. That's what he's calling us to do. The kingdom, God's kingdom, to rule in our lives. The Apostle Paul talks about that we are citizens no longer of this world, but we're citizens of God's kingdom. And so we are to reflect that as citizens of God's kingdom. And that reflected in our behaviors, how we care for one another, how we treat one another, how we care for our world through God's grace and mercy. I really like this part because the church has been given a job to do. It's not just willy-nilly, but we have a plan. There's a plan for us. And we've been seeing that plan unfold throughout the life of this congregation. And we continue to see that plan unfold even today. Huge plan that we get to celebrate in the preschool and their graduation as that preschool is populated and families' lives are being transformed. I love on during the week I get to see the families come and drop off their kids and they're happy and their kids are running into the classrooms and we get to be a part of these families' lives which otherwise we wouldn't have. As we continue to work in our ministries and our mission partners, it's part of God's plan. As God continues to shape your life, your family life, it's part of God's plan. God is working. God is working in and through us. And as the Apostle Paul talks about, as he reminds the first century church, being confident of this, he says, he who began a good work in you he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. God continues to be working in and through our life together. Our life together as a congregation. Your life and your family life. Friends, it's inevitable. We're going to hit those moments of stall. We wonder, why is this happening? What happened? Why is this crumbling? Why is this falling apart? Why do I sense this doubt or uncertainty? Maybe you don't experience it. But you know people who have. People in your life maybe right now are going through a stall. But now you have some important measures you can remind them of or pray for them about. Rather than becoming overwhelmed with despair and worry, trust in God's 
the ways he has proven that he's alive. Proven he's alive in your life. That he hasn't abandoned you, but he loves you. As the first followers of Jesus were instructed to receive that promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and to live by that promise every day of our lives. As God's Spirit breathes new life into our hearts, into our souls, and opens up the, the doors of hope and challenge, and we can see this world with courage where God is leading us to be witnesses because of the plan that he has for us, the good and faithful plan. At the end of the flight, when we landed, I got out of the plane, and I was able to hug the pilot. I don't normally get to hug the pilot, but I did, and I say, I, I do. I look forward to flying with him again. I really do. And if, no, no, I know, when he puts that plane in a stall, I'll be ready. <laughs> 